Welcome to episode 11. Hang on. E-R, 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 there's a police. That was the police. <laughs> Is this where we insert some music from the 90s referencing how we feel about the police? That references... Bad boys, bad boys. No! What you, you gonna do? No, bad not boys, that filth! No! Jesus Christmas. Okay, I'm taking my glasses off. That's how bad it is today, kids. I'm taking my glasses uh, off. I'll let you know Kate's a little bit flat because of the violence in the US has really messed no, with, it's not. with her this week. Yes. No, it has. Yes, it, it has. 100% it's, has. It's been... It's been um, yeah, I have been involved peripherally in interested i would say in um american politics for a really long time and it just got more interesting with trump over the last yeah but also interested in racial politics across everywhere you know like i was involved in stuff when i was a teenager with apartheid and the troubles and in ireland Ireland. uh, yeah and um and, like, I remember when the Malcolm X movie came out and I was obsessed with Malcolm X and Triple J ran a promotion about um, Malcolm X. And I was obsessed with Malcolm X but nobody else knew who the hell he was because Australia yeah. Australia is white as shit. Like, Hang we on, are. Shit. Yes. Okay, don't. They, we are, like, uber white, super duper white. And so... Um, Nobody knew who the hell Malcolm X was. So Triple J, which is a radio station for those who don't know, were running a thing and you it's rang this number. Network, yeah, you it? rang this for number. Shut up. You rang this number and they had a like ring this number and then you could win a hat or a t-shirt or tickets or whatever for the Malcolm X um, movie. movie, which is a glorious movie and Denzel Washington is quite frankly a god and very much on my husband's list. Um, what does that mean? Well, you know, my le- oh my god, another police! What is this? What is going on? That's, an, That's an ambo. Hoppy doodle truck. Oh, and it's slowing down. Oh, I don't like it. Anyway, so that he, um, so I rang that hotline and I got through and I won and I was like, oh my god, and I won a t-shirt and then I rang and I got through immediately after and I just kept ringing and I won like this stash of Malcolm swag. X swag. I did. I won hats and T-shirts and tickets to the movie and books about him and everything. Anyway. Hang on, I just want to go back a little bit. What was this on your husband's list? Uh, Tensil Washington. In my fantasy land where I have a polygamous cult of husbands. Oh, okay. A polygamous cult. Yeah, that's yes. not going to happen though. No, but, I, but listen, this, that's not what I'm talking about. So, you know, you know... Tuesday husband yes. is John Roderick. Correct. Yeah, and he actually, and out of all of these people, he's the one that actually knows he's. He's the only one that knows he's my Tuesday husband. Thanks if to someone could get a message to Denzel, that'd be yeah, swell. I don't know anyone, but the, all the six degrees of separation. Six degrees. Someone out there is listening and is best buds with Denzel Washington. So how do we how do we get to Roderick? His sister, Susan, is, his is friends sis- with with. The woman who ran Creative Live, the Creative Live, and and the, they travel together. And a lot. no, 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 the Baby Summit. She hosted the Baby Summit. Yes. She emceed the Baby Summit. Yes, and we were like, oh my god! And then she called John, and I have a video of my Tuesday husband, and it's glorious. And there's another ambulance that doesn't make me feel good. Anyway, so ambulances, what? Ambulances fix things and make yeah, things but better. So, something bad has happened. Correct. See, this is the difference between you're like ambulances, they fix things. I'm like badness ambulance. <laughs> it's yeah. half full, half empty glasses. Anyway, so what were we saying? 
I'm feeling a bit crap. America's falling apart. Trump has his secret police on the ground beating the shit out of 75-year-olds. It's all, you know. And meanwhile, the Rona rages and they're all (laughs) going to die in a minute from that if the cops don't get them first. And no one's been talking about it. And no one's been talking about it in Australia except for everybody who were at the Black Lives Matter march where I was about two hours ago with my kid and my sister and the babies and the dog and everybody else in Adelaide that knows what's what. Mm. And it it was very nice and very good and very moving and excellent and now I'm just exhausted and need to go and curl up in a ball and watch like rich white ladies be obnoxious on Orange County (laughs) Housewives. (laughs) Netflix has now got all the Housewives. People out there who like trashy television, let me tell you. I have found Housewives of everything. I have found a YouTube channel that's been made during this pandemic lockdown of a tank museum in Britain. And they've had like 40 episodes discussing tanks. tank Museum. It is brilliant. And not rainwater tanks. We're talking like bang, bang. <laughs> it is awesome. Not rainwater tanks. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow. So how about how about rather than go what? and watch the Rich Housewives of LA or No, whatever, watch that. Why don't you listen to the next up and coming podcast? Oh, and then yes. we'll talk about it after. Do that. So and play. We should have a game. I am obsessed currently with a computer game on my phone because I only have computer games on my phones because otherwise my life is over. I am listening to podcasts and playing Kingdom Two Crowns. Don't give Kingdom them advertising, they sponsoring. Crowns. If anybody has any tips on how to beat the fourth island? Is that the one with a horse with its head on fire? The horse does not have his head. It that's looks like right. an No, that's the little stick that's on fire for when it's I ride into the night to kill the greed. Anyone who's playing Kingdom Two Crowns, okay. hit me up. Okay, it's a great game. Okay, yeah. obsessed. Okay, you it's ruining my life. So, who's our guest? My guest, the our man guest? who takes photos of buildings, isn't he? He's, he's all a- about a straight line. He's a wonderful. He's wonderful more man. of a straight line guy than all those bloody architects who built those buildings. That's right. He those could have built the pyramids. This is it. There's got to be something, something in tune between a photographer who takes photos of buildings and an architect because they're both obsessive, compulsive lunatics when it comes to like straight lines and everything looking neat. And hang on, you know, hang on. What about Gary and Guggenheim Museum? Oh yeah, we crumple a piece of paper and spend too much money making it. Yeah, I know. So. The uh, audience, because we decided they're not listeners, yes, they're not the viewers. Audience. Although I want to use viewers like Hoag's used You to can't because... G'day, viewers. Well, we don't know how many viewers there are. Yeah, about five. Uh, okay, yeah. uh, audience, um, enjoy David Sievers. David and Sievers. And hang on, I want people to know that this this chat, chat. has some slightly distressing bits to it because he talks about mental health. Yes. And if anybody is um, finds they feel a bit upset about that, yes. we will be having um, the numbers for Lifeline and in Beyond Blue and Beyond Blue in our um, show notes. And we would encourage you to please yes. reach out, ask a friend, talk to someone. Um, there's a lot of people in the photographic industry at the moment that I think feel like they have to be doing really well and having been really creative in this downtime. It's actually really fucking hard to be creative in this downtime at the moment. And if you're feeling really crappy, you are not alone. Um, And you might be feeling really crappy for like just because you're sick of being in the house with your housemates or you've realised you have to dump your husband or your girlfriend or or you've realised that your cat has a, a bit of an obsessive relationship with you and it's all falling apart. I don't know. But none of these things... Are forever, and no. all of these things are perfectly valid reasons to feel like shit. Um, 
we've all gone through a, like a global trauma and we're still going through it. There's going to be another 150,000 people dying in the States at a minimum, at a minimum. So that's why Real Housewives of Orange County <laughs> <laughs> and Kingdom Crown. And the Tank Museum. Because, because sometimes you need a little bit of distraction. Right, you don't actually have to, and I have to learn this. You don't have. You're not a good. You're not an extra good person if you sit and watch all the news and read all the articles. You can take a break. You can still be an ally. You can still be helpful and not completely absorb yourself with it. And if it's not politics that's driving you mad, making you feel crap, if it's just because, you know, you've lost all your clients or you feel like you have, that is, that is. Just bloody awful. And there's going to be people out there that feel like that. And I think as often happens in this industry, there's a lot of Fig Jam. Those of you who don't know what Fig Jam is, it's fuck I'm good, just ask me. (laughs) Cheers, the definition of Fig Jam. I actually was bought a jar of Fig Jam by my child, my beautiful Josephine. Because she knows. She knows. Because she also has a dab of the old Fig Jam in her. Um, But I think there's a bit of the Fig Jam in the photographic industry where people – really are like, ah, I've been super creative in this time and I've chosen to work out for three hours a day and eat nothing but kombucha smoothies and I'm just really feeling it and really loving getting back in touch with nature and, like, my art and all that shit. And they're great. Like, yay to them. Uh, Except 90% of that's bullshit, Um, firstly. Secondly... Yeah, but you fake it to make it. Yeah, but not everybody can, okay? And that stuff is... Whilst, you know, they're trying to do their thing and be hashtag positive, <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot of people that are hashtag fucking over it and um, yes. and that it's not super helpful to, A, believe that any of that is necessarily true because marketing is a bitch, um, and B, that you guys don't feel like you have to conform to that as well. So, Because I know there's a lot of – like there are accounts in my feed that have gone super quiet and I'm worried about them and there are – um, I know there are a lot of people out there that are seeing a lot of people and feeling additional pressure on on their businesses on, and on their mental health to be like the creative genius that came up with all these fabulous ideas while we were yeah. all sitting in our houses. Like they're going to jump other. the gun on everybody because they've... Yeah, and there's an element of this that's now like we're over the crisis. Now Now it's like the the dragging you through the recovery and that is actually often much harder than the crisis because the crisis you can be like, right, buy more toilet paper and then after that you're just sitting in a room with a fuckload of toilet paper. (laughs) You can make a crown, a throne out of the toilet paper. (sighs) Yes, and that's then then you have to live with the toilet paper. So now we're all living with the toilet paper and we have to drag ourselves through this and work it out and there are services out there. If you're in Australia, you're very lucky you can go to a GP and you can get help and you can get um, mental health plans which I have and you have and yes. our kids have. Yes. We all have therapists in our family. We have therapists about our therapists. Like it's a whole thing. And um, and I love my therapist more than anything on the planet. She more is than a me? goddess. No, no. More than your set. No, Jeez, she husband? teaches me to love you more than her. Oh, She's wonderful. Nice. <laughs> um, l- l- how, about, yeah. how about we let the people listen to Dave? I just want to put that in there. It's really important. I agree. And if you're not feeling good, come back to this one. Agree. Not that it's like heavy duty. I don't think it is. I think no. you guys handled it really no, well. No, David, David is very sensitive yeah. and understands the feelings. It was beautifully done and I think it was a really a really nice sort of dipping in and out of the issue mm. without sort of getting stodged into it. 
I think it's beautifully done, but I just think it's important that given 100%. what's happening, everybody's aware 100%. and we'll put the put the lifeline stuff in, in the uh, show notes and please just ask for help if you need it. And write a review when you're feeling really good. <laughs> and then, you know what we're going to do, because I actually haven't read if anybody's written any of your reviews, short of one person who we know has, because he's lovely, Doug, lovely. if you're listening. Mm. Um, but uh, we're going to re- we're gonna read out... Oh, yeah, what a nice idea. Don't you think? Well, they'll and say bore thank the you. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll just, just read out the names, the names and thank them. So if you want to be a rock star on the podcast and have the names read out, then we have to leave a five-star review. And if you leave anything other than a five-star review, we will leak your name to Anonymous <laughs> and have your accounts hacked and doxxed and basically no. end your life. Enjoy. <laughs> Test and test and test. No, no, no. Let's get straight into it. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. Oh, really? We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even sworn yet. Fuck. Uh, well, let's let's start by swearing together. Okay. What do you want to say? What's the swear you want to use? We'll just go with shit. Okay. Why not? One, two, three. Shit. shit. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, I feel comfortable with the fact that, I, that nothing could top Kate. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there's a prelude to this video. Yeah, well, like there, the will others, be, there will be an and intro. an after. There then, will be an intro. realistically, anything in between is just yeah. totally PG, no matter what I do. It's um, it's risky you being here because she could actually walk in the door any minute. But she does know. Well, she's she's had a long day, so I doubt she will. But she right. could come down chasing a dog or something like that. But she could be moody then if she's had a long day. <laughs> I like how you just uh, well, you know, breezed over that. Cheers. Cheers. Is this uh, scotch or truth serum? <laughs> they both work the same way. Mm. So I'm I'm here with David Sievers of David Sievers Photography, an imaginative imaginative name, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're we've had so many chats over the years. Uh, I can't really count them because whilst we're slightly different in age, you know, you're much younger than me, <laughs> but our time as a serious person in the industry is very similar. Right. Because I think I was screwing around for a long time, not getting into it. And you, of course, were just following a natural path. You know, you, you had this thing about photography, you wanted to do it, and you got into it, and you're, you know, you're really serious about it. Mm. And uh, so I think in 95, was it when you really started? Uh, well, 96, 97, I was out at the TAFE. 97. Now, I'm that was Martin? No, no. So uh, that was at. Croydon. Tafe. Croydon. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. With Alex so, Knezvik and yep, yep, and all those guys, yep. um, which was a great time. But yeah, going back from that, yeah, I was I was at Martin right. when it was a. I was one of the last people that went through while it was at high school. So yeah, funny kind of suddenly having to lose your uniform and uh, mm. and everyone was in normal clothes and suddenly adults were there when it turned into an adult college. So and it's a great like it's probably the premier. Well, it's not the premier, but it's one of the great photographic colleges in the state, and because the guy that runs it is, uh, I don't know, really loves what he does. It's like white makes anything good. One person usually trying. Yeah, absolutely, hard. absolutely. So yeah, I mean, we were probably one of the first schools maybe to have Photoshop. I don't know, but um, ninety five. So I, yeah. I I finished in ninety three and then repeated. So about yeah, about ninety four, ninety five. Yep. I mean, I. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I just, uh, yeah, I feel like 
you know, truly sort of blessed and lucky that I um, knew what I wanted to do at such a young age. So I reckon year 10 photography. Wow. I decided that, hey, this is this is actually what I want to do. And then I I could really focus on it and, um, and do everything possible to... Um, find a pathway into a into a job so i i did hang on before you go any further why what happened in year 10 why i don't know i don't know i think um was it grandfather wolfgang no <laughs> no but the thing is well, grandfather wolfgang came uh a lot later in the piece so i'll get to that yeah but um yeah i think uh i don't know i just think that i really enjoyed it you know walking around taking pictures all that student stuff that you did, it would be hilarious to look back at it now. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did um, – I was always a bit, um, I guess, crafty. Yeah. But um, – and uh, creative. And I think before that my interests were around music. I played guitar. I was quite, um, like, into that. And that was quite a funny thing because that's an, a major transition point where I sold all – my guitars wow. and bought camera gear. So I basically did year 12 um, and I repeated photography. Well, I didn't want to repeat photography. <laughs> I, I just wanted to use the darkroom for another okay. year. Okay. So I... So you did want to repeat, but you wanted to repeat... Without having to get marked. Correct, correct. And correct. Um, so it was funny because it was a, a, a senior school, you could just pick and choose what lessons you wanted to do yeah. as a adult re-entry thing so it worked worked brilliantly so i literally just did photography yeah and um used the darkroom for a year so and on that in that within that time i did a couple of bridging courses out at croydon yep so um, croydon is a Str uh, south australia or was south australia's uh tafe college that was about moving into the profession of photography very practical course yeah and it still kind of exists but croydon was when it's in its heyday with all the resources and yep. yeah and a lot of great people came for it as well so oh, gosh yeah so that 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 um so who, who went through croydon at your time so jackie way was in my year stephen laxton who's in new york now he's um, photographing the obamas the christmas time you know yep karen stevens um and uh a few people that are in press um lots of people that uh yeah, they've, I mean, look, we had – it was always funny, that course, because it was – a lot of people did it because it was something fun and interesting and, yeah. and they somewhat thought it was a bit of an easy thing, you know, rather than, hey, let's go off to uni and all that kind of thing. But I think what shows out of the people that made it out of that course are the people that are still doing it yeah. because they – And what percentage you reckon? It was pretty small back then, but I think it got – more as the years went on. Something like th someone said around 30% yeah, may make I'd something probably, of themselves. I'd probably say that. But at the time, it was such a popular course. I think at the time that I um, went in, I mean, I have to say, I, I didn't actually get in the first year. <laughs> I actually got in the second year, which is why there's a little bit of a gap. So there was like that uh, repeat of year 12, and then there was another gap year because I didn't get in. Um, because it was six, it was about six hundred people. What for twelve full time and twelve part time positions? Wow! So they ended up growing the class. That's serious odds. Yeah, yeah. So they ended up growing the class to I think the twenty four and dropping the part time because the part time was six years, full time was two years. So it just yeah, there was too many people dropping out of the part time side of it. It yeah. was really just a. 
I guess, an option for people that might have been, um, you know, had other careers or other, f- you know, family yeah, yeah. things and stuff like that as well. So, um, so yeah, but uh, loved my time out there and it was a really good time to get into photography as totally, well. Late, totally, Late 90s. Pre-digital sort yeah, of. Yeah, and yeah, I just, um, I look back at it really fondly and I, it was one of those things that I, I started to get to know that what I really liked about the craft was creating something from nothing. Yeah. That's how it started, certainly. So um, I was always locking myself in the studio for hours on it. Um, yeah. And So is that how you like to work? Like are you a studio person now or is it? No, not at all. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the thing. Early days, I was pretty much all studio. Um, so my first job um, working with um, Kevin O'Daly at Aspect, Aspect Photographics. Yep. So... Kevin actually rang up the college and spoke to Alex and said, who's a good studio yep. um, person? Because he, he wanted to do just all the location stuff and oh, really? leave someone basically locked up in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I had a meeting with him and, and got a job. So I actually got a job before I graduated, which is actually an odd thing, um, especially when you look back at... at, um, at the study and the available jobs in photography these days. But oh, yeah, it's, it's so yeah, I think I got I got a job in August ninety seven and right. then still had to see out the end of that year. So at the time I got a job, I was still doing a couple of lessons and I was also doing a bit of work experience at Orange Lane as well. <laughs> and um which was quite funny because uh, for those that don't know or do know, I mean there was basically four or five major yeah photographic commercial studios in in Adelaide and and they're all reasonably competitive with each other yeah, to well, some they, extent, you know, but Lane in a was, nice way. They were cars and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. They all kind of did the same. Orange Lane specialised in certain things and aspects. Yeah. So, but they, they were competitive, particularly aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, look, Kevin was, um, he was a great person to work for, but yeah, he was sort of, I guess yeah. everyone sort of says the same thing. He was sort of hard but fair. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, just competitive. He was, yeah. he just like a, played the game. Yeah, he did. So... I think he's still alive, by the way. Yeah, We're he talking is. <laughs> this is not a eulogy. No, this no. is not a eulogy. <laughs> he's in Tasmania, though. We we sent him down to the convicts. Yeah. Yes. He's uh, he's uh, he's actually a very calm man in, in comparison to what he used to be. So <laughs> I think Tasmania has definitely chilled him out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I think I so I did my major study module. That was basically that last block, your yep. last semester. Of the course, and I did that with um, Darren Sethafati. Wow! So he's back in Adelaide now. Yeah, well, I have heard that he's back in Adelaide. So yeah. I haven't caught up with him, but um, so that was why I was at Orange Lane. And then if he didn't have stuff booked, then I would just help Mike or yeah. Drew or yeah, um, some of the other people. So basically, because yeah, he was in Orange Lane, and they had their own group of photographers in there, and so you're one of that mob. Uh, as well as being an aspect for the majority of the time, or yeah. So, like I said, it started in August. So you only got till the end of the year, so it wasn't it wasn't a massive um, crossover. Um, but it was just an interesting time, and also at a- a- aspect at the time, we had a few other people. So Craig Arnold was there, yeah. and Clayton Glenn was there, and 
uh, a couple of other yep. um, people. I mean, Jackie was there. No, Jackie. No, was, that's right. No, Jackie was never. Um, no. aspect. I think at the time she might have actually been at Duckpond. Right. She got right. a job at Duckpond. That's Pond. right. Yeah. Yeah. Just not long after I got a job at the studio. So, um, so yeah, it's just a, it was just a really cool time. Yeah. We went to a lot of studio events with other studios. It was a, it was a fun time and, yeah. and, but yeah, if I look back at what, you know, what I remember about it, it was, I was just a sponge at the time and I, but also I, I I I picked up stuff, but I never took anything without wanting to change it or or see if I could do it even differently. Whether it was and most of the time I just made it more complicated. <laughs> and these people that have been doing it for years and years and years actually just had found the right, right way. <laughs> but I was just You gotta bit, do that yourself sometimes. Yeah, I, I just uh, I didn't want to take stuff. I, I wanted to I guess be inspired by it, but still find my own way. Yeah. So I think that's the thing. And then, um, but yeah, look, they were all great people and it was a great time. And How long did that, how long did it last, you know, in a studio system? When did you feel like you needed to be out, out of that and, and doing something yourself? As in my own business? Yeah. Like, cause the thing is most you, people hire assistants and if you've got a good assistant, you know, they're not going to last. You know yeah. they're on their way to somewhere else. Yeah, and well, in many ways, working for one of these studios or at one of these studios, you're a, a bit bit more than an assistant, perhaps, aren't you? Yeah, no, I I, I was, and I, that was something that's actually also quite nice about that time. And Kevin really did give me quite a lot of um, free reign because he he wanted me to to really just manage that studio side of it. He didn't want to have to hold my hand. Yeah. Um, so he wanted to concentrate on all that fun, industrial, architectural, yeah. Yeah. commercial stuff on location and leave me with the photographing of bottles and <laughs> toilet paper and, <laughs> and copy shots of books and weird, just some of it was pretty, um, you know, the, all the sort of, um, you know, all the bread and butter kind of stuff that comes through a studio. But then... Did you find yourself trying to complicate that stuff with ideas and techniques and build it to a bigger thing? Or did you, were you just hammering stuff out at that stage? Uh, I got easily bored if yeah. I couldn't get creative. Yeah, and yeah. I think at the time, um, even if I couldn't do it as a job, I would do it myself anyway. So right. I would bring a lot of stuff into the studio and just shoot it anyway right. for the sake of being able to be a bit more creative with the light. But, um, yeah, look, it was all it was all fun. But, yeah, I think the romanticism of, of that film and what people talk about is really just, look, you know, it's like everyone talks about digital and you knew what you were going to get, but we shot Polaroids. Yeah, you knew what you were going to get. We kind of knew what we were going to get. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we, we metered it and to, to, to buggery, so we kind of knew But still, what we you, did. You, you could see it, yeah. but the Polaroids are bad. Oh, no, it's not a, like, good, not a good representation. You, you, you know your ratios, you, yeah. you, you, know, you know what the light's doing. So it's quite important that you actually repeat things the similar way because otherwise you'd be back and forward reshooting things again. Well, and again. absolutely, and I think, I think that's one of the things about commercial photography, whether it's even dig digital or even back then. There's a lot of people that made notes. We made little diagrams. Yep. Because often you would shoot stuff for people that you would have to shoot again and again and again. It'll be a different product. 
Yeah. But they want the same look or the same lighting setup. Yeah. Or, so it was very systematic and I think that's what I liked about it. And I think even when I was studying, the joy of studio was you, you had nothing. You had to create everything. I so mean, from okay, black, you might, you're adding... You might, to have, you might have a product, but you had to make it interesting with a background and then you had to introduce all your light and pick your angles and stuff like that. And I, I really enjoyed that. I guess, um, I mean, Kevin often said to me, he goes, I, I don't know how you have the patience for some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just... So that's the... Found, your, your foundation is your patience, right? Yes. But that's <laughs> a little bit different as you get older. That's <laughs> Well, so. the thing is you got... I think what gets in the way is time. Yeah. And you've got this, this fixed thing, and I love thinking of it as a pie, and you're cutting it up. Mm-hmm. And then you cut it up and you make a piece for some other part of your life. You make a piece and suddenly there's nothing left of the pie. Yep. And no matter how patient you are and careful you are, you cannot add to that pie. And no matter how generous you are and kind and wanting to please others, you can't add to the pie. No. Uh, and, um, and so when you're working for someone else, you're kind of adding to their pie Yeah. because you're giving them time. You're giving yep. them your time and in reward you're getting money and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you start dividing that pie up, don't you, as you get older because you get more interested in other things. And yeah, so I think um, I think you know your question about when did it change? Yeah, when did you a, change? Yeah. When did it change to a business? So I started my business in 99. So we're 21. So 94 you're starting? So 90, uh, I, no. I actually did a bit of early work experience with a bunch of people. I also did um, – I worked at Photoco for a while. Oh, wow. It's kind of like I... So that's the central market, one of our great little camera stores amongst uh, market stalls and and stuff. So I actually worked at the... There was a store on Heinley Street for quite a number of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of their trade was all the the tourists. (laughs) Our dodgiest street. The dodgiest street. But it was right near Rundle Mall. So it wasn't the the dodgy end of Heinley Street. Oh, I know where it is. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. righto. So and I I did one day a week at the at the central market, but most of it was at yep. the Heinley Street store, and um, great yeah, that, great that secondhand was, stuff. Yeah, great secondhand stuff, and just playing with a bunch of yeah old cameras yeah, and all that was all. I mean, that's the thing. I kind of again because I like to overthink things and do things in a bit of a meticulous manner. Right. I thought, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at each side of this industry and then right. work out what interests me. So I literally. Okay. Worked in a camera store. I shot in a studio. I shot out of a studio. I also worked in a lab. Yep. Um, where I did a night shift at um, Black and White Photographics. Black and White Photographics. In the in and th- people still find this funny anyway that that a lab could have been that busy to have a night shift to have a night shift because we we ha- they had a Fuji Frontier machine. Yeah. Well, basically two of them that run around the clock. Yeah. And. Um, I'm still not a hundred percent sure if it was legal that I was working by myself at night, but I well, think it I don't was. know what the law. I don't, I don't know what the laws were back then. No, no, I don't know what the laws were as well, and I'm sure Matt had had checked it all. But but we and we both share the love of the bakery that was next to Black and White Photo. Oh, absolutely, French, bakery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had Award the benefit of croissants. well, I had the benefit of uh, finishing my shift when he's yeah when they were actually open well, to the public. They were baking from three in the morning. Oh, we I used to smell it. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. how you could live. No, no. Well, <laughs> but you turn into a, a fat bastard like I am. But, <laughs> <Like> I, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think um, 
Croissant's a really good thing, though, to be. If you're well, going to be addicted. Like, it could have been something like chocolate or something terrible. But I know. And I didn't have the chocolate croissants. I just had the, just yeah, had the I know. plain. The plain are amazing. Plain, they don't even need and butter the Danish, on them. They do a good Danish oh, they do well. a great Danish. So, basically, I did a 10 at night till 6 in the morning shift. Far out. For how long? For... At one point, it was two. It was two nights a week. I think it might have gone up to three. But I worked there for five years, on and off. I got a bit lazy at one point and and started taking a few day shifts. So, and I say lazy because it was just, it was a bit too easy. You know, it was like than chasing work. So there was a time in my life where. uh, I mean, at the time I was, uh, I had that idea that a lot of people have that, hey, I'm going to go and live overseas for a while. Yep. And I took that job on for that manner to to perk up the, yep. the photography. So, because one thing I, I guess I always tried to do was I did other things rather than compromising the work that I took on. I tried to do what I wanted to do. Yep. And then if I needed more money, I'd get it other ways rather than, hey, I'm going to. That's That's been a great theme amongst all the people I've interviewed has been yeah. this like I don't want to ruin my photography. I get no. a job doing something else that allow me to take my time. Well, I, I learned pretty early in the piece that you, especially in a small town like Adelaide, you get pigeonholed very quickly, and someone only had to see you at an event, and you'd be event, an event photographer in really? your mind, right? In in their mind, yeah. so it yeah. was kind. And that's especially nothing, clients, and that's nothing that's, against that, and that's all. Yeah, like, but if you're trying to get architecture work and you're yeah. shooting a yeah, so I, I mean, I did, as with everyone starting out, you do a bit of everything anyway. I, li- I literally, I can't think of anything. So you did Christmas, you did Father Santa stuff. Yeah, I, I did do Santa stuff. And so did, Kev, so did Kevin. Like, Kevin was doing Santa yeah. up till only a few years ago. Well, yeah, he was doing Santa at um, Burnside Village. Village. Yeah. And, but that was all part of it as well. I did Santa at, um, at David Jones when I think, um, yeah, we did David Jones. I did um, Graduation. Yep. photos for UniSA yep. at one point. It was kind of like I took on these little summer jobs, winter jobs yep. that, you know. That so you're, you're in your 20s then? Yep. 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 So I, I, I reckon I was 20, so what are we, 97? So, yeah, I I was 21 when I got the job with Kevin. Yep. And, yeah, so the, 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 the reason why I started my business in 99 was because <laughs> – <laughs> the entrepreneurial side of me was seeing the money flowing through the studio, and I a lot, of, a lot of it, um, was was, you know, stuff that I had wholly and solely, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, basically managed. So I, I didn't go um, hard on Kevin. I was quite fair. Like he had the reputation. That's why the work was coming in. Mm. Uh, I was just doing it. But basically, all I, I just sat him down one day and I said, "Is there any chance that I could get paid a little bit more?" when I do photography than when I'm just being an assistant or if I'm just yeah, processing yeah. stuff, in the, stuff yeah. in the lab because we did all our own processing. We had E6 and I did all the black and white printing as well. So there was lots of stuff I did there which is still to this day um, relevant. And even my time at a lab, I, I seriously – Think that that's, that's your understanding of color. Yeah, that's um. That's, uh, any that's of our clients me. that have worked in a lab are great clients. Oh, and how quick you have to be. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you, the, we would scan, you know, rolls of films so quickly, and you, you have to sort of make corrections to every shot as you go through. And 
I think that really helps even when you're batch processing stuff in this this, oh, sure. this day and age in digital. So, um, but yeah, look, I think I, I, I got a bit entrepreneurial and said, okay, I'm going to, do you mind if I charge you a little bit more? And he said, yeah, sure. Why don't you actually set up your own business? So That's really interesting. I, had, I mean, I'm not, there's nothing to do with Kevin or any of the big studio owners, but my opinion from the outside is one of the mistakes they made was not giving more to the people who are working in the studio to help them stay because you don't want these people like yourself to go because no. they make the whole place look better. They cause it to you know, sort of throb with energy and all this kind of yep. stuff and they bring other people in. And what, what I found or what I saw is a lot of people leaving them and they became ghost towns and crusty. Uh, but this is not what happened, right? No, no. So it, it turned into, hey, I will get a higher rate. When I mean, it's still, you know, with the money that people were charging, it's still, I was, you know, fair about it. It was only a little bit more, but yeah. it's kind of like I was, it was just almost like a, um, like a symbolic thing. It was kind of yeah. like, hey, if, if I'm playing this big, a, a more specific role, then shouldn't it be a different sort of pay thing? So yeah, he was he was quite fair about it, and he said okay. And then it turned into artwork as well. We're pretty quick off the mark with digital. So, in the sense that we um, he was actually we used him at a seminar, and it was about demonstrating digital versus film and latitude and that. And he was right there. We did it with a wedding. We simulated a wedding, okay. and he was the first out the gate really that we felt was far enough ahead that could answer those questions yeah i reckon we um i couldn't tell you a year but yeah i know that we got a, a nikon d1 when they first came yeah. out so it was hilarious that it was whatever it was 2.3 megapixel yeah. camera and it was 12 grand or yeah something like that but yeah even before that we shot everything on film and we scanned it yeah so we got from the point of sending all the film out to sending files out yep. and keeping the film um, so I think we had an Agfa scanner, pretty oh, really? uh, Agfa duo scan pretty early oh, yeah. in the piece. And yeah, we got an Arca still in the back somewhere. Yeah. So I, I, I found that fascinating. That was really early in the piece. So I reckon we were only film specifically and only for maybe, yeah, the first three years or something. Right, like, right, and then right. it turned into a scanning and. I couldn't put a date on it, but yeah, I reckon late 90s. No, you're right. It would be around that. I think I've felt that sort of 96, 97, 98, that's when really things started to get messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was was a – the line got blurred. And and when I say messy, it's because people didn't – they struggled with the understanding and they struggled either hanging on to the past or they struggled with, uh, you know, what's happening next, how do we get into this. And Mike and Drew – like the amount of money uh, Drew Lemon put into the first scanning back, the 5.4 camera yep. in, in Adelaide, I think, or in South Australia, or maybe even Australia, I don't know. He lost probably three years' worth of income yep. pouring his effort to make that work. But he got it to work because the next guy who bought the next model was no problems. You plugged it in, it worked. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get ahead this way. What's, yeah, that's a, the funny thing is, yeah, it's kind of like you talk to a lot of young generations now and they, they just wouldn't even get what we're talking about because right. a lot of and that... And you know what? It's, freak, uh, no, it's irrelevant, but, man. No, no, it's but totally a lot of that really early digital stuff was yeah. so finicky and the yeah. Firewire connections oh, were like no. a joke. Scuzzy. And it's like, and you're... you're uh, you're basically waiting for this camera. You know, you have to go through this, um, monop- you know, 
all these different things to try and get it to work. Yeah, yeah, wits doctory. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was fun. But yeah, I reckon we shot catalog stuff pretty early on the piece yeah. with that Nikon digital and. But you know, it really is so irrelevant. It's great to talk about, great to think about. Yeah, but it's just, it's just I don't know how much that mess helped people. I think the the film workflow and the idea of never being not being able to preview your your image. I think that taught a lot. Yeah. But I think that hell that we all went through trying mm. to get digital up and running and working and at least up to film standards, yep. it's like, oh, we wasted our time. You know, we probably should have sat on film for a couple more years yeah, yeah. and then and wait till digital get better. And lots of people did and then lots of people sort of trusted in, entrusted that sort of learning yeah. process to people like yourself. Yeah. So they continued on their film journey and then yeah. – um, and then waited for the right time and they waited for other people that are yeah. all like the bridge heads of the world and all yeah. that kind of thing with early, you know, drum scans and stuff like that. Yeah. So I photo C D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well CDs and zip drives and <laughs> they're all like icons of that late nineties, yeah. early. And now 2000s. we're just like what? Yeah, what, what, what? And what is it even anything? I mean yeah. it's funny because we used to we used to drop film off to people and we had that engagement with a client often um, or you just career stuff, career stuff. It's, it, it's, it's hilarious to think, you know, when everyone, whenever, when anyone asks me, you know, what's the difference between film and digital, which did you like more? And I said, I like them both for very different reasons. I mean, film, you could really only pick one thing. Like, especially if you look at interior photography, you, you could pick one light source to correct for. It's okay. I'm going to collect. Am I going to correct for the fluoro? Am I going to correct yeah, for the yeah, tungsten totally. or the daylight coming through? And we 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 were very limited in what we could do. Mm. Um, and now we can do anything, but we lose our nights and our weekends and our extra downtime and all that. So it's a trade, isn't it? It's the trade-off. So whereas often oh, there was definitely times where I never even saw the job. Mm. It was shot. You knew that you had it right and it got couriered because it was so from urgent. The, from the lab straight to it the... It got couriered straight from the lab to yeah. the to the client. And and it's funny, we've got all these pictures on our archives and stuff now and it's like there's all this early stuff that I shot that is non-existent. I don't have it. I don't own it. And the only way of making a copy was either seeing it finally in a magazine or on a billboard or something, yep. which... Or you made a dupe of the transparency yeah, and, and, the, and they're terrible quality. They're terrible and I actually spent a lot of time making dupes because even for clients we used to have to do that as part of the process yeah. because they – They wanted five copies of their tranny. Yeah, but they also wanted a 35mm slide for a presentation. Yeah, I mean this yeah. is all before PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. So you'd shoot everything on a, <laughs> on a Hasselblad and then have to take a 35mm slide of the – Crop the square to – Yeah, of, of the shot the and send it to him, which was um, – That's crazy. But, yeah, it was never that great. And um, – but, yeah, just a real interesting time. And I, I so, so, come on, wh when did you go, I'm now David Sevator? So, Kevin gave you the opportunity – Start your own business. Yep. So that's when you registered and whatever else you did at that stage. Yeah, so registered the the, the um, name, went through that process. It was all around the same time. as, And then the GST sort of come in as well just oh, yeah. to complicate everything. So we, our taxation system changed from sales tax, yep. wholesale tax. It was a mess yep. to a flat 10%. Flat 10%, 10 yeah. GST. It so, still stands. Yeah. So, yeah, it's basically I still worked for Kevin in a very, very similar role yep but it just meant that i invoiced him yep you know x amount of hours at 
the flat rate and then X amount of hours at photography. And then there was X amount of hours of artworking as well because he would charge the artwork out and that was very much early days. That was a lot of the work that I used to do. So um, just, just cleaning files up, cleaning files up, but also again, we were, I was, you know, together we were pretty, pretty quick on what we could do now that we were scanning stuff. What could we do? Could we scan two different files, one for tungsten, one for daylight? Could we shoot different films? I mean, we had, removable backs and yeah yeah so there was there was there was even within the scanning stage that we were already starting to think hey how can we do things differently to better the result through our new methods so i guess that was the part i always found interesting i i, I like problem yeah. solving I've, yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably the main reason i got into photography i liked that problem solving and then the slightly more arrogant version of hey i did that yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Which is probably why I chose more of the commercial thing because it's kind of like, um, and and it wasn't in an arrogant manner at all. It's just this idea that you could see something in a magazine or see something on a billboard when you were driving down the street was was pretty romantic, and it was yeah, kind of like pretty cool. It was a pretty cool idea to latch onto, and I was just lucky that I could yeah. um, go in that direction. But yeah, certainly. Early days, it was definitely studio. Loved creating something from nothing. And then eventually I really liked people stuff. Um, so what was it about people stuff that you liked? I don't know. I just, I was, I've always been quite social. Yep. Um, which is why I think we're all so lonely in the digital world because we used to catch up with people at all the labs. and Because yeah. you you'd go to the lab twice a day. Yeah. Because you were getting film processes and you're always running to everyone and... Um, so it's funny that we're we're so connected, but we're so lonely in this in this day and age. And it's I been even weirder with the coronavirus. Stuff yeah, yeah. Too. Well, exactly. And I think, um, I think, and I think for to- I, in the end, whether it's the client you're making the work for, or the people in front of your camera, you know, you're working, you're working for somebody. Um, you're making people and their things look better. Yeah, look its best and that kind of stuff. So you're you're trying to please them in one way or another. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I've. I guess I've always had the attitude that my job is to make other people look good. Yeah. So uh, forget about the people side of it, even if it's a, so the business, yeah, of the course. commercial world is kind of like, I want to make them look good. And um, so it was never really about me. Yeah. It was always, I guess it was that, yeah, it was that weird kind of. Well, it's about, it always is about, wanting I mean, to it's be about liked. you. It's about feedback. <laughs> well, I'm suffering from the same thing. You yeah. know, uh, it's, you want to make people happy. Yeah, you do. Uh, I just don't know where and how that comes. Survival thing, probably. Don't hit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It's, yeah, it'd be exactly. nice to me. It's a caveman thing. Uh, yeah, I suppose. So, so okay. You liked working in shooting people. Uh, you're still at O'Daly's. When did you fly the nest or what did you do next? We did you stay there for forever or I stayed there forever, but under my own. Okay. Yeah. So you basically rented space out of that. Yeah, yeah. So I rented space off Kevin initially and then he sold the building, so I rented that off the new owner. That's right, yeah, yeah. So I, I You're upstairs, you had the, the I was basically there. there for sixteen years. Yeah. In 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 And you pivoted from photographing products more to what Well basically I found that I really liked the location stuff. So the okay. stuff that so Kevin, stuff that Kevin wanted. So, all, so, so did you get a junior so and whip him the, into doing this? No, no, I, no, I didn't because I, I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted the best of both worlds. So 
I still did a lot of studio product, but I started to realize that I could see why um, getting out and about was um, yeah was a cool thing. So I was always um, locked in the dark, and then I came out into the light. But um, yeah, it was just a. I think out of necessity, when you start your own business, you do a bit of everything. And I was doing it's it. insurance, really. Yeah, and I was doing a bit of everything, and. I still had my loves, but I don't think that I'd really developed my solid love for architecture just at that stage. I think I was still finding my way. So going back to, you know, realistically, even what we've talked about so far, it was kind of, it was always this journey where I wanted to find my spot. Um, So your your joke about Grandpa Wolfgang, um, (laughs) so I'm not related to him, so it's the same name. So for those that don't... Sievers, Wolfgang Sievers. For those that don't know. I'll write the note down so that I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. so Wolfgang Sievers was a famous Australian photographer that did a lot of industrial and architectural work. Now, the funny thing is when I was at Croydon TAFE, um, someone asked me any relation to Wolfgang okay. Sievers and I said, yes, he's my dad. <laughs> and the lecturer laughed, but that is actually my dad's real name. He yeah. goes by Wally, but he is yeah, Wolfgang Wolf- Sievers. So, but then I realised, and part of it, we had to do a history assignment. So I did my history assignment and study on Wolfgang Sievers because this had just dropped on me that, hey, there was someone with the same family name. And I just fell in love with the work. That's incredible work. It's, and and that's, so that was basically, yeah, so about 96. So that was probably the first year of TAFE. Right. So you kind of worked out what you wanted to do. Well, you just maybe. wanted to try everything else but it. No, no. I, it's probably, that was the, the start. Right. And then, of course, Kevin was very industrial architectural photographer at the time. And I used to process all that work. So I was always having it out on a light table. So I was always looking at it. Um, when did you? F- <laughs> then a few times I went out with him on jobs, yeah. and then and then it got to the point where he, I wasn't just doing studio stuff, and he would send me out on jobs. So I probably shot my first architectural shot shoot for Woods Bagot, who are a yep. pretty big architectural firm. Yep. I reckon that was about ninety nine. Wow, ninety nine. So all on film, all 40 mil on a Hasselblad. Wow. And um, 40 mil is really wide, distorted, you it know. Was, it was actually really good. Like yeah. it's really not that wide by yeah, I in, this, in this probably day probably equivalent to a 20, 35, 28, 35. No, it's about a yeah. 28. I reckon it was a bit wider than that. 24. Yeah. I reckon it was about 22. Yeah. Right, okay. Just <laughs> had a guess. 20, well, 24, yeah, something like that. Anyway, I'm sure someone can correct I know, us on that. It's it's incredible, it was, incredible setup, the, the 24. Well, uh, the thing is, in that day and age, we weren't really uh, – Kevin did shoot some architectural stuff on 5.4 for the corrections and stuff. But if you shot on a 40 mil hustle with a square frame, often you'd just crop the top half of the frame yeah, yeah. to a 6.45 and you've yeah. got a straight shot. So as long as you kept the, the lens level yeah, – yeah. um, you had a straight, you had just straight verticals and you just crop the top off it and you have a whole bunch of road on the bottom or whatever, but the client never saw it because we used to put it in a Kenyo, Kenro <laughs> mask or whatever those yeah. things were called and we'd send Cut it the off, off Yeah. Um, but the, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> no, we're talking about, well, actually what I wanted to ask you is when did you get better than Kevin? I don't, well, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think, 
I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Because you you feel like it. Like you're working under someone, and your work is good, and your work is great. I don't think Kevin had your attention to detail. I think Kevin did have my attention to detail. He probably just yeah. Um, he just seemed to want to. I think he was interested in working with people, and and doing that stuff that's a little bit faster. Yeah, and I, I think you want to work that bit slower. I think and I that, think yeah. you pulled out the perfection more than anyone else I know in that kind of world. I, I have to say that working for someone good is is really good because yeah. then you always want to be better. Yeah. You don't talk about it. Yep. And I still remember the day I actually had a fight with Kevin and he was walking up the stairs and he 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 actually knocked me down a couple of pegs and said, you're getting too big for your boots. And that's hilarious because a lot, a lot of that used to happen in the late 90s and I, I've heard it from many other young photographers as well. So, But it's what I needed to hear. It was mm. great. It was amazing. Mm. Um, and I, I, so what, what, I what was, was a bit cheeky though. I did, have a, I did have a meeting with one of his clients, but he, they asked me to come and see them. And I thought that he was aware of that. Uh, and then it turned into him finding out. So that was just... Well, that's the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. Because that's just, <laughs> I know for a fact the amount of people that Kevin... <laughs> and that was business. I said, he's a competitive guy. Mm. It's a competitive guy. And he went and did... And I know it's a bunch of people who would be happy yeah. to say, yeah, totally. But that was that's business, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I have I to... I mean, it's different in the same studio, I'm sure. It would be much more uncomfortable for the person you're working for to get the opinion that you're trying to take their clients. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Just exactly. And I, look, I... I bitched and moaned about yeah. plenty of people over the years that have gone and knocked on the doors of my clients. Or oh, 100%. So, and we all, we all do and we all get close. Makes you feel to good. It, it, it all gets the frustration but I, out. But I always was quite fair in the sense that I never approached anyone. Yeah. It was only if they approached me. Yeah. And that was the way I it sat well with me. So but that, yeah, the danger of that is when they want to approach you because they think you're going to be cheaper. Like that's that's mm. and that's the thing that sucks because you're younger and naturally people go oh he's up and coming he's probably going to give me a better deal yeah and that's that's not the way you would have worked any rate no uh, no no I think that we were all I think that the best thing that young people can do is to to sort of you know be aware of that and see through it and rise above it and um, yeah look the problem with discounting yourself obviously you have to start somewhere so you're always going to be cheaper than yeah. someone's but that's been doing it for thirty years. But yeah, if, if you if you're a if you're a, a two hundred dollar photographer, you'll always be a two hundred dollar <laughs> photographer. Like it's, it's hard it's, to, get, it's hard it's to hard, shake that off. It's hard to shake that off. Yeah. So yeah, you kind of always, and it's the same with every job that I've ever done. It's kind of like I always quote it on the way it should be. If they want to knock it down and they say we don't want to go that far with it, whatever, then we talk. Hmm. We talk, and okay, and it was like okay, well then let's limit the amount of shots we do. Or maybe you don't need that dust shot or whatever. But I would always give them the best. So often that rules me out of the piece because yeah. um, that's, I think the, you win the respect from people that you're trying to make them look good. And yeah. so you'll always approach it from the best angle. So and it's funny, it takes a lot of years. This is where the time to establish a business comes into it. It takes a lot of years to get the reputation where you can say, well, this is what it is. And they know you know yep. that it's going to take you this long and that's what the price is. And I think that's where the some people struggle because they haven't got those years and that respect from the client and they don't have their their name out there and they haven't done the things that help you know, level you up a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you, you spent a fair bit of time in the AIPP, Australian yep. Institute of Professional Photography, where, and you got your Master of Photography. Yeah. And so that involves a whole lot of 
really high scoring prints in a row. Did you ever get a photographer of the year with this stuff? No. Right. Not in the not in the um national. Not the national, but South Australian no. you were Yes. You have several times. So so that sort of stuff is all a part of that oozing your reputation out a bit. I mean it's not Yeah, but it's not really a platform, but it's a part of it, isn't it? No, but well, it is a platform, but I guess I always looked at it as my own personal journey. Yep. I never looked at it as, hey, I'm gonna promote this. It was just, hey, how does my work measure up against the peers? And I guess that's the thing I I have to say over the years I've tapered off my attitude. But when I was young and all that kind of thing, I was I was I was very driven. So I think, yeah, just even that Kevin thing, that was probably the that was probably a pivotal point. It was like, okay, well, if you're going to knock me down a couple of pegs, I'm going to show you that I am above that. Right, right. And 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 that's what I always did. So, so you still stayed after that? Yeah, yeah, I still stayed. And um, I probably only worked for him for a little bit longer and then I was my own person. So, and uh, initially, like, in that day, in those days, you didn't necessarily rent a space. You worked in that studio and you paid them a percentage. Oh, okay. So it was a percentage yeah. of the... What you were invoicing your yeah. clients. So right. basically it was a you were a freelancer and you paid, you know, X amount percent of of every job that you did. Wow. Um and then So when what you, about stuff that's nothing to do with the studio? Like if you're Yeah, if you shot it on location but you're still working out of that studio, they still got the percentage. So I, I never did any dodgy where, hey, yeah, let's yeah. do this on the side and yeah, yeah. Kevin doesn't need to know about it. It wasn't it Well it have to be trust anyway. Yeah, There's no, no there way has it to could be work. that trust. I mean so you can't sit there and look at your books. No, no, no. So we, I, I, and that was a great stepping stone in photography in the time because it meant that you had no commitment without the work. Right. So you're only oh, paying. Oh, that is cool. I didn't yeah, think about yeah. that. So you're working in the studio and you're paying a percentage, but only if you did the work. Right. So you could be, um, you know, you could be lazy and, and just hang around and think, hey, I'm a cool Is that really, if you're a studio owner, wouldn't you want to do it differently than that? Wouldn't you want oh, to say it's X amount a week or something? And No. No, I, I reckon that probably is that at, the best way at the time. I think that um, people did better out of people in that respect, but it meant that you didn't have that commitment. But then you just change that commitment. But the harder you work, the more you have to pay someone. Oh, absolutely. But then you, but then you turn it and you go because you both options were always available to yeah. you. You can be a freelancer, yeah. or you can rent a desk, and so you just pick that point where you hey you say hey I want an office now right 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 so and I did that and then went through yeah the sort of Kevin and then the new building owner so and um I guess yeah the, the, it was yeah some good times as well so you're starting to move out the studio as far as photography wise less interior stuff more outside yeah. what was the what was the next part of, where did you sort of head off to then uh, work wise and what sort of work okay so basically. It was more the clients that I got that drove what I did right. rather than me maybe because I started working for a bunch of graphic designers that had, you know, um, corporate and government clients. So I was shooting for different, you know, um, government departments and stuff like that. So then there was almost that people stuff was almost pushed more on me where I was doing a bit more corporate stuff. But I always still had that that yeah. love for architecture and and even food as well. I always enjoyed shooting food they and, have, and eating big it. different things. Like yeah. you think about shooting, well, just fashion, for example. You know, it's a, it's it's very different feeling. I mean, food's got to be fast because it falls apart on you quickly. But architecture is not that. 
No. You know, so how, why so so different? How did you reconcile that and what? Well, the funny thing is the food came about because I, I started doing a few jobs for um, a company that ran a few different magazines. And then in the end they said, oh, I covered a couple of things that were food related. And then it just grew from that. So I was shooting for Sumptuous Magazine for yeah. God knows how long. I think it was six or seven years. Um. It's a great little mag. It was a great little mag when it was around. So, and I loved the editorial stuff because I loved walking in. This is the difference. I had all the control early days, and then I then I actually really loved the challenge of walking into not knowing what I was going to walk into. Mm. So, and shooting editorial work. So you didn't know what you were going to have as far as backgrounds, lighting, what you what you could work with, and all that kind of thing. So I really enjoyed that. But then was that an adrenaline and joy? Yeah, I I I did. Yeah, I liked it. And then I got tired of it. Yeah. Um, I also shot a lot of school stuff at the time as far as not, you know, group shots of people but more the um, advertising stuff for school. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. And But, yeah, look, I shot a bit of everything. But then it really started to go, hey, I think that the control was taken too far out of my hands. But also shooting a fair bit of corporate stuff, there was a lot of people that would change your mood of on, on a day. Um, so I think it probably came about when I, I started to have a few mental health issues. Mm. Um, and that came, I think because I've always had this, this personality that has, um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a perfectionist personality, but not in a big way. Um, but still I've wanted to make everyone happy. I've wanted to do the best I could and... I found that, you know, some people were taking that control out of my hands because they were moody CEOs. And yeah, you were derailed. I was, I, was, I was kind of a little bit derailed and, and I was so excited and passionate about everything I did that if someone wasn't the same, it just threw me off on a tangent. Like yeah. It was just I felt so – I constantly felt so emotionally drained with a lot of the people stuff. So I just cut it out. Was there a, something? Was there other parts of your life at that stage that coincided with all this happening? Like, because um, I find sometimes that if if what's going on at home is is takes a lot of effort, like having a kid or or you know uh, or whatever, and you add that family stuff, so you don't actually get the the pullback. Well, it was all pre Toby, so Toby's your little one. Yeah, yeah. So Kathy wasn't working in the business then. So, so you're married to Kathy, right? So I'm married to Kathy. When did that happen? Ninety. When did you get married? Three years ago. Okay. Yeah. That can't be long. Not longer than three years ago you got married. No, no, we've been together. Twenty sixteen. We've been together a lot longer than that. I think you got married in twenty sixteen, four years ago. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't know. It was at the Star of Greece, I remember that. And you've been together for a lot longer than before that. And you work together? No, it's only three years. Oh my god. Twenty sixteen yeah, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we can we roll roll back roll back tape roll back <laughs> I tape? I need a drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you gonna so, drive? I can't give. Yeah, me. no, I gotta drive. Let's be responsible. Yeah. This um, is nice having a live interview, by the way, because every other one's been on Skype up to this point. Yeah, I know. And it's we really, are one. It, the camera might not seem like it, but we're a meter and a half apart. Yeah, we can fist bump. We're supposed to do oh, that. Oh shit! It's sorry. <laughs> it's a COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, what we're saying. Kathy, 2016, you got married, but you've been working together. 
So basically, at the time, I was I was spreading myself. She's way. a graphic designer, right? Yeah. So Kathy was working at a, a company called Big Raw, which That's was down right. the street from me in Halifax Street. And um, who else was there? Was Craig Arnold working for them at any? Oh, yeah, he did a bit of work for him, I right. think. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Kathy was a graphic designer, and he I is a graphic designer. Is a graphic designer. That's yes. not practicing right now. Just not practicing now. No. So. There was nothing really happening from a home life per, uh, um, yep. perception. It's just I I often stayed back late. I was at the studio late often. Yeah, yeah. I worked a hell of a lot of hours and I just got to the that point. the perfection side of it? Well, I, yeah, it was like all that after stuff, yeah. you know. And post, yeah, yeah. All the post-production stuff that really drained me. And I think um, – the turning point was one night I was just working back and I, I found myself staring at the wall and I had no idea why. Mm. And um, I noticed this for uh, a bit of time that I was gradually just feeling really disconnected from myself in a really weird kind of way. Sure. Um, and I hadn't taken acid or anything, <laughs> just so everyone's clear on that. <laughs> um, and I just felt that I wasn't right. So I went and saw someone and then... Um, Good on you. It's uh, kind of, I've been on this journey ever since. So that's about nine, ten years ago. Far out. Eight, maybe eight. I don't know. But, a lot of, but people, lot of the, people don't. But at the time. A, like, they don't pick up on it. They don't do anything. But at the time I was vice president of the AIPP National. Yeah. Yeah. I, How much fun was that? Uh, it was, a, well, I met a lot of great people, but I, I don't think that fun's the right word. It's hard work, isn't it? Um, it's a hard work, and I know that you've been. It's a whole nother job. It's a whole nother job. So, uh, so VP of AIPP. VP. I was working my ass off, um, but I was also spreading myself very thin with helping out lots of other people as well. I was just the guy that wanted to be helpful and liked by everyone. So, I was and with the state AIPP too, you were yeah state AIPP. Well, I had to quit the state AIPP, but you were still helping out. Yeah, but I was still helping out. I was mentoring people i was i'd sign up for every bloody interview or exhibition launch <laughs> and then the tafe thing as well i was on their um, yeah, course, advisory, course panel. advisory panel not that we ever really did much on that i mean we yeah. we feel like we did a lot but between me and paul we can probably say that <laughs> a lot of the voices sort of fell on deadies i like the and samosas yeah, you know, when we get yeah. their sandwiches. Yeah, and yeah, sandwiches and samosas. It's a nice chat. Look, and, and nothing against the, against the lecturers. They did all they could. It's just yeah. a whole bunch of bureaucratic kind of... Way above them. Way, way above the them. control, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that is... The AIP people was a little... The AIPP was frustrating for, um, for a lot of... And I think a lot of people sort of said this as well. Because you, you're just one opinion. And you can wear your heart on your sleeve and try and go for as much as you can and... But, you know, if it doesn't get supported or whatever, then you have to wear that decision and stuff like that. So it's funny. You feel like you feel so dejected that you had the right idea that this is right. We should be doing this. Mm. You pour your heart and your, all your effort into it and then a whole lot of other people go, nah. And the, the hard thing to realise is they are just – most of them, I guarantee you, are just like you. Yeah. And this is the thing, all these people, this love – Mm. All smashing together, trying to, and it's just, it's just, just pa destructive. It's, it's passion overload, but just in, oh yeah, it's just, in just, uh, um, and look, I've got no, I've got no qualms with the ARPP. I think it was a very important time. I did eight, basically eight years of my life was either as 
vice president here, state president here, yeah. vice president nationally, chair of awards, judge. You know, I did a lot of um, I did a lot of stuff, but I also, you know, a lot of people did a lot of stuff. So I was yeah, just yeah, one yeah. Per, one one person in a, in a, and and at the time there was only a few people. It was only really me, me and Mark Zed and a couple of other people like Ed Nichinsky sort of really holding it together at the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know, but we were actually going to get stripped, um, which was something that we had to try and say because the AIPB in this state had died so much it was actually going to become a division of. Victoria, and the that's because the AAPP was so strong, mm. because of the the strength of the wedding portrait photographers that felt the AIPP wasn't yep. representing them. It's just crap. Yeah. Anyway, it was crap. just it was a bad it was a bad time. But, but we, that we that, got that pulled it. on you as well. Yeah. And then working with your clients that you felt were screwing up the flow of mm. of it. Well, I can't say that it's not really to do with any one thing. It's to do with my personality. And I think that's something that I've had to try, to try and work through in the last, you know, since... since Ten years. Yeah, yeah, basically since that time. So I know that I overthink pretty much everything. I <laughs> throw myself in wholeheartedly into everything, which means that I'm often spread thin. Um, but... As some professional people have told me, it's probably what makes me good at my job. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that balance, and it's been it's been a, it's been a real battle of ups and downs and a roller coaster ride in that time to to try and find the balance. So has Toby changed it? Yeah, Toby changed it, but Toby changed a lot of things because Toby, my my passion for photography was it kind of really took a back seat. Because I was such a proud dad, and I still am. I mean, <laughs> that came out wrong, but I am. <laughs> I am just absolutely in love with this child, and yeah. and he is he is everything. So it definitely changed my priorities, and I'm sure that any parent says the same thing when they have their first child. Um, and he's just a little wonder. So he turns three in August. So and he's a bundle of energy now. And um, it's the best excuse to not do everything else. Yep. It's the, and you can actually, you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, the right thing to do is to drop everything yep. for this thing. Yeah, so that, and that's the thing, that's been the good thing of this COVID yeah. Yeah, pandemic and, and all the craziness that's going on with that. Because it gave us this weird permission to just stop and, and you know, work out what's important and value that time with, with family and as as much as we couldn't see them, I mean, um, we had a couple of front yard driveway hellos with with mum and dad. That's and been pretty grim that side of it. Yeah, yeah. So through the older rallies and yeah, and yeah, and lots lots of um, lots of FaceTime. Yeah, but yeah, look, I think um, I think that something that I think Kathy, as sad as it is, has turned a little bit into me in that sense that she finds it hard to give herself permission sometimes. So it's hard to turn that that mum thing off, and I find it hard to turn the work thing off. And I think that's that's just one of those battles of working from home. So after we moved out of the studio, we worked at home yeah. um, for years, and then and then obviously we've since had Toby. So I think I moved out of the studio about seven years ago. Yep. Um, so obviously Toby's only a, a, you know a third of that. Um, 
So and how's how's like this journey that you've been on? How's Kathy found herself through that? Has she has she been she okay? And she's you know, oh, she's she's an angel. I mean, I I know that it's grim, but I certainly wouldn't be here without her. Um, but uh, she's just been amazing, and and look. Yeah, we're we're kind of uh, we kind of work well together, but in it we kind of um, we have our moments as well, like any any <laughs> relationship. I mean, look, it's it's always hard working with a partner, as you probably well know. But yeah. um, but you know, I think what's happened is you have to play to people's strengths and work out that balance. And Kathy's happy to sit at the computer and and do the after work and also do all the emails and and talk to clients and stuff, even though. They often send emails. Hi, David. Even though she's sent emails to him, saying from Kathy, and so our clients could. I don't. It must feel. Awful. <laughs> it must feel. Awful. Or they always. It's just always Kathy with a K or whatever, and it's like, come on, people, pay attention to the kind regards, Kathy. Yeah. Or, uh, but um, but no, like we 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 love what we do, and and I think that it's all very. It's kind of getting there now where it's a little bit more balanced. I actually wish that people would just just sort of slowly broke us in after the after the big sort of COVID eight or nine weeks of not much at all because everyone's gone a bit nuts now and now the weather's up and down, which I knew would happen. Um, which yeah. is which is funny that we've been talking about how I was a control freak and that's why I was a studio shooter and then. I became, hey, let's have a challenge, and now I'm completely taken away now. But what what stopped me from doing the people stuff was that having me having the control of my own mood on the day, but also me having excuses that are out of my control. Like if I do a people job and I haven't done, I'm not in the right mood or they're not in the right mood and therefore the, the result is compromised. With architecture, um you've got a building it doesn't move it doesn't go anywhere and all you have to do is go in and and sort of celebrate it but if the weather's shit or the um you know the light if the light's crap and you you kind of got it wrong you just come back a different day mm. and i think that's something that i still have that control factor and i and i throw myself into every job i do in that sense as well where i'll i'll Screw it down to that twenty-minute window for every shot in. So, the how, how, what's the process with a an architectural shoot? Uh, there's obviously going to be a time limit on how long you can spend on it because there'd be better times of the year to go and see a building for sure. Well, yes, uh, a lot. Lots of people in this day and age with social media want to get it out and about, but they're still quite, um, you know, respectful of what you think is a good idea. Like I've just had a job that. We've, we've canned and we've said, oh, well, there's no leaves on the tree outside of the building. Let's, you know, let's talk about this. Mm. Well, it was actually right at that time where it, they were dropping off and I said, it looks silly with half dropped mm. leaves out the front. Plus they're all over the ground. And are you guys going to clean that up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and they ended up, we ended up talking about it and we just said, oh, no, we'll come back in, you know, spring. No big deal. So that's like just thinking about it as a, I mean, if your client's the architect, I'm sure they get it because yep. they work in years with yep. their work. Yep. But you think about the average Joe, you know, hang on, I can't get my picture. No, no, no. So uh, architects are good, builders are hopeless. I mean, because in their mind a job is done when it's when it's done. They walked out the door. And they walked out the door. And often that actually comes to bite you because 
their version of done and my version of done are, are something that often has you going back to jobs because you rock up and you go, this is not right. Mm. Hasn't had its final clean or you've got dirty windows or something like that. So I guess I'm still a control freak and I will look at Google maps and I will drive past buildings and I'll work out a time of day that. Okay. So you are you're using those sorts of things uh, and you work, you know where your son's going to track. And yeah. All so that. basically all I'm doing so I'm probably still the same person I started out as in the studio, except now I have my background and I have my subject. I don't have to create everything, but I still have to think about the line. Yeah. Um, and I, but that's what I love about photography. It's, it's everything. And I think what, what gels with me about architecture so much is I love composition. I love finding that composition that, that is, you know, might be simplistic but dramatic. And I think that's what I loved about Wolfgang Sieves' work mm. and I think that's pro- probably what people take away when they see it. Mm. And that's what I've enjoyed with, uh, with other people like, you know, like Tim Griffith and mm. a few other architectural photographers that have these really simplistic but powerful shots. So basically I approach every job as how can I tell the most amount of story with the, less, the least amount of content? Um, but, you know, some, some buildings offer about people – and then you've got to inject that into the space somehow. Yeah, Is that yeah. a part of it? So that that I struggle with, but I still I still do lots of that. Um, I only only say I struggle with it because, in the sense of, if the people have to tell a story, if the people are just part of the composition, and I can put them wherever they want, and I can have movement, and I can do all that kind of jazz, then it doesn't really um, you know fight with my anxiety. But the, I do get a bit anxious if I have to do a, do a you know an interior of a school and you have to have students walking through it or a classroom and um, only because of that direction side of it. But there's only so much you can do, and I'm usually fine on the day. It's usually just the build up, right? So it's just an anxiety kind of thing. So so um, is that uh, like ha- have you felt that improve? Like you've been battling this for ten years. Oh, absolutely! I, 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 I you feel it's got you now. Yeah, you understand what it is. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I can, I can, I can manage it now. Whereas I got to the point where I was having panic attacks and and cancelling jobs about four days out. Wow! So, and how long did that go on for? Was that a, a small period before you got on top of that, or is it? Oh no, I got on. I got on top of it pretty quickly. But again, I probably just stopped doing the kind of work which which would put me in that that kind of scenario. But what I have acknowledged is I need to do more because it's kind of... Exposure therapy? Yeah, exposure therapy because I feel like... um, I feel like if you haven't done a job with people, even if you haven't shot a portrait of someone for ages and then you have to, there's that build-up, that nervousness. And it's only because, you know, and I think a lot of people go through it and I think it's only because you're so passionate about... Mm. um, the result that you let your mind get away from you a little bit sometimes. But so, yeah, I'm, this is the thing with everything I'm saying now and with any trust that I might have with, with any clients trusting me with their stuff. And all, that was only a couple of times that I did that particular thing where I canceled jobs a little bit out of, because of a bit of a panic attack. But for the most part, it's all in my head and on the day and in the moment, I'm completely fine. And no one would ever be any aware of any of this kind of stuff. Mm. It's just all, it's just my yeah. own battle and, and, and it's not something that I, 
have really discussed before or um but i think it's it's i think it's something that i want to do more of i mean that part of me helping people has come back in a sense and me and paul have spoken about maybe a potential project with with people that have had um, mental illness problems within the creative industries so um but yeah i don't know it's i think i've spoken to a couple of people and i think a few people have had issues over the years I'd, I'd, and I'd honestly I, I don't know anyone who hasn't yeah. either they've <laughs> realized it or they <laughs> yeah well that's it they probably they, yeah and the biggest the big the saddest thing is when people haven't like thought about it and talked to someone about it and yep. you know just sort of said okay i might have something i need to, to deal because the f- there's so much resources out there now. absolutely yeah uh you know like just going to your gp get a mental health plan gives you what 10 sessions i think of 10 free sessions with a psychologist yep. a year uh or is it five and you get to extend it to another 10 or yep. whatever but it is and there are there's a huge range of psychologists with different skills and and angles and and i've seen a couple of different ones and i find that some are good at some things and suit you and some are good at other things yeah. and so some people have experienced a psychology and go well that was a that was terrible. I'm never doing that again. And they mm. don't realise this. This didn't gel with the person yeah, that they're talking absolutely. to. Because it's a relationship you're having with somebody. And uh, if you can um, find that person you fit most comfortably with mm. in that environment, and and then you've got a – it's basically a, like a coach to help you. Absolutely. Well, I think when you fir- – I think with anyone, I think when you first start, it's confronting. But it's not, it's not so much confronting as it's a bit draining. Mm-hmm. But I think my – initial battle was with it that I, I had a beautiful upbringing. I've got a beautiful family. I'm lucky that I'm doing what I've wa- always wanted to do since 15. I mean, that's just crazy. I feel really lucky in that sense. And I had a real issue with guilt at the start of that. Like I just wouldn't, I found it really hard to accept well, that to I wasn't, yep. that I wasn't quite right. And I think once you get through that and, um, but yeah, look, I think that my first, my initial problems and my first person I saw was probably, she was more about me accepting it and she drummed it into me that it is who I am and I had to accept it. And, <laughs> you and, what do you mean? I can't fix this. <laughs> and I, of course me being the control freak in the, um, and, and wanting to have that control wanted to fix it and I want to fix everything. So that's been my well, I think that's a that's been my frustration that was thing. my frustration with with the start of it but now I'm seeing someone that's a lot more um, compassionate and and helping me through it because she you know it's just I think you find someone that says hey I just want you to shine and and have a normal life without all this stuff that's a burden yeah. and um and then you, you you find that right resource but and I think one you know the point that you you said um about you had a great upbringing i totally get you and i think i'm the same boat as you and i think it's that guilt that and it's also the story we've been told by hollywood or whatever storytellers that you had to have some trauma that's caused this or brought this on you know it's a result of uh, it's you know it's not and and yeah sure for some people it is for a small part of the population is but most people it's just just the way you're wired uh, and th- and yep. we're so lucky because I don't know about your parents, but my parents weren't really touched by war, mm. but my parents' parents were, and I think we haven't had that major trauma that have affected the immediacy or 
to, to us. And and I think that that you know that stuff that war brings with alcoholism and um, and domestic violence and and all that sort of stuff, like that preyed on society for for so long that we're probably still really feeling the echoes from it. So it probably is from that, but. You feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I wasting these resources? Why yeah, am I getting yeah, yeah. these yeah. free sessions? Why am I seeing the psychologist? They should be dealing with somebody who really needs them. And yeah. it's just little old me and I'm there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just no. whingy, you know? Well, what what excuse have I got? What's my excuse? Yeah, what's my excuse? And yeah, look, I think um it's it's available to you, so you get get the help. And it it doesn't have to be a big deal. It just No. Yeah, just tell a few people close to you and don't make a big song and dance about it and and just, yeah, get the help because it's it's not worth it, you know. And I no. think this is a funny thing a lot of people think. And then you get even more guilt when you have a beautiful little boy and <laughs> you go, why do I feel like this when I have this yeah. beautiful little soul in my life? But, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird that I think that the, the industry, my personality – the work I do and this all kind of correlate in this weird kind of vicious circle universe that I've got going on. But I have I'm I'm managing it now and I think this is good. Um No, it's it's amazing. It, it's absolutely amazing. And I think that you know the, the creative industry, I don't I don't mean to put it on creative's head, but a lot of the people you probably experienced as a part of the push and pull that have have made your life a little difficult um like they are probably in a situation where they are probably struggling with things as well they may not have gone to this the stage of trying to understand why they're reacting to these things seeing a psychologist and they're probably just doing their natural thing bouncing off their own mm. ego and and stuff I'm not ego and a bad thing but just their own self they're bouncing off that what they've been taught and the thing that i find that psychologist gives you is a perspective yeah and it's not like what is normal, but it's like, oh, yes, it's quite all right for you to feel that way because I, you feel this way because of X, Y, Z, and you go, oh, all right. And then you can look at other people and go, oh, well, you must be feeling that way because of X, Y, Z and your own thing. And it brings this sort of empathy on, just being yeah. in the pres presence of someone who understands and is such a good empathetic person. Mm. And I think it helps you understand those. And I reckon if everybody <laughs> in our rooms be wonderful, if everybody got onto it and um, – you know, these sorts of things would be much better. We'd have a better understanding of where we're at and why we get there. Interesting, isn't it? Exactly. But, yeah, look, I early on in the in the piece, I sort of convinced to myself that, um, that I was, uh, you know, photography and the acceptance and those emails after you've delivered the job saying, wow, this is wonderful, was my drug. Mm. So it was kind of like I had an addiction. Mm. Um where I lent on this, I lent on that praise a little bit. And I don't know if it's, oh, you know, it's funny. I mean, we're getting deep now, but <laughs> I don't know if it's because I was picked on as a kid, but it just, uh, yeah, I think that wanting to be liked and. It was probably your defense. Wanting to know that you've helped people. Um, yeah. Is, is, is part of the problem, but yeah, look, it's just, uh, it's, it's a crazy little journey, but I, you know, it's, um, Oh, I feel I feel good about it all, but I feel um, I feel a little bit battered. But um, I'm, and the thing is, the other side of that is, on the, f I had that, but then on top of that, I had that professional burnout. 
Yeah. Which is just a normal traditional kind of professional burnout thing. And that was last year. And luckily we, we could say, Hey, I'm not going to work for a while. We had a lot of stuff in production anyway. So we still got some things that we were working on and Kathy just did the whole work. And I just spent the whole time with Toby and I took about six weeks off. Oh, wow. So, and that, that got me through that and that was, that was okay. So I'm back at it now. Absolutely love what I do. And I yes. feel, feel a lot more positive about it where I had, whereas I had hit this point where I was, had lost the enjoyment. I felt a little bit ripped off. I was, you know, probably working for too many people that didn't treat it as seriously as I did. So you kind of just strip out those clients. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, but you have to do it. I mean, this is the. Well, if you're not looking and you're not wanting to see this level, people don't want to book you. You know, no. you've got to be the guy that's that's uh, that they go to and go, oh, my God, he's just going to do the right thing by me. No, no. So that, that's the, the funny thing is I think I keep saying that. This is just a habit, by the way, if everyone's sick of me saying the funny thing is. Because <laughs> none, none of these things are, are, are really that funny. But um, I find that um, – Everyone talks about what kind of work do you want to do, but I think more people could spend more time on working out what clients they want to work with because they all have different personalities and and they can really affect the work you do and what kind of work you do or how much you enjoy it. So, so even, even with buildings, I mean, there's got to be some buildings that you just got to photograph. Oh, like. yeah, but, well, absolutely. But still there's cli- some clients that just don't treat it the way it should be. Yeah, right. And that's part of my problem. Like a, that, that slightly weird perfectionist side of me is I get really, really frustrated and angry. I don't show it, but I get, I always get frustrated on what it could have been. Yeah. It's not about what it was or me polishing yeah. a turd, as they say in the industry, if I've had to, yeah. but it's what it could have been. That frustrates the hell out of me. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It just, it just does my head in because it's kind of like, and I think that's because I just try and line up all these, <laughs> get the goalposts and say, hey, okay, this, I've worked out. Because I've done all this work to find out, hey, this is how the kind of day it needs to be shot on at this kind of time. Um, then you work back from that because often part of the problem with that kind of work is access and yeah. whether it's actually even, Completed. A, pos- <laughs> even a possibility. Um even, uh, but I, I just overthink everything and that's, that's what, <laughs> like I, I was driving around. Is there any to, signs of that getting better by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I don't, I don't know that I want to stop doing that. No, I can't. I like, just, I just got to. I, I just want to listen to thinking, fuck, you're the guy that I'd want to do the work if you're the guy that's thinking way ahead of me. Oh uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, often that is, is stated by the client. Jeez, I didn't think about that. I mean, I was driving around today and these thoughts just come into my head and I was just driving back from an appointment and I'm like, shit, I've got to do that. (laughs) I've got to do that bloody dust shot. And I've just realized because of the time of year it is and how, when dusk is, I've worked out, I've got to do a, 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 I've got to shoot a building on a corner of a pretty major intersection at at 5.30. 5.30. And it's like, nah. And it's a corner. So I've got, Cars coming down the street straight at camera if I'm across the road. Headlights, potentially. So I've realised that, no, that's not going to happen. So now tomorrow I have to send an email off going, 
any chance we can get someone in on a Saturday or a Sunday night. Yeah. Preferably a Sunday night. I mean, I, I tend not to book week uh, jobs on weekends, but sometimes you have to. Like if you've got to shoot off, you know, five floors of corporate office yeah. sp- space that's just had a fit out. If no one's there on a Saturday morning, it's a good time to shoot it. So um, how in a week you tackling a shoot a week uh, roundabout or I, every couple of weeks? I do about, well, I mean, most of the time I do about three a week. Okay, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And um, so any one of those could be shuffling around one another. Well, this is the problem. Like uh, this week I've had that because of... The weather's been amazing. It, well, the weather was nice, but it wasn't forecast. It wasn't nice yesterday morning. Yeah. So, and I moved stuff to Friday because that was a better forecast. And then today it turned out to be amazing. But this is, <laughs> but this is what... Um, it's funny, me and Simon Casson yeah. often talk about this because he, he, he says, I have no idea how you deal with this shit. Because like, <laughs> he, he, he has everything and he, you know, he has all everything booked in at certain times and with the work he does and, and that's all kind of fine. He goes, how do you deal with this, you know, ever-changing diary? Because I've got a really, really fluent yeah. um, booking schedule and – but it's the only way. It's the it's the only way it can. It doesn't work any other way. It's the only way it can be, and I think that's why I've probably won a bit of respect that way. Because if it's not right, I won't do it. Mm. And it's kind of um, one of those things that I, I remember that th- there's one shot that literally took me nine months to do. And uh, I know it sounds funny, and people were just sitting there going, "Why would you do that to yourself?" But I remember I had to, I, and it was because of schedules and all that kind of thing as well, because I'd done other stuff. I'd done everything at this job. And often it's shit's cafe to tears, but I often have to go back to jobs. She's like, so is this one done? I'm like, nope. No, I'm sorry to say it's not. It shits her. But how much of that is, how much of that is? No, it's me. It's it's in, it's in my head. So the client wouldn't care. Yeah. But I, I know that, hey, at two o'clock on a, Thursday when it's <laughs> sunny and no one's around is is the time to do it. No, no. It w- but this particular shot, I reckon it was something like that. It was between two buildings. Yeah. So it's a very, very small window of opportunity that you had the light where you wanted it to be. So it had to be a sunny day. I had to be available and I had to, I had to have it um, know that it was going to be sunny far enough out that I could get access because it wasn't the easiest place to get access to because it, it was, it wasn't just on a public street. And, um, but I, I kind of love that stuff. It's kind of what damages me, but, it, <laughs> but it's, it's what I get off Dangerous on. Track. I get, I, I get it off on it. It's like, it's kind of like, okay, yeah. All right. But yes. if that's what it takes and, and it's, and, but look, I've definitely chilled out. Right. Um, well, you, you know, I think I've, I've, I've met a compromise basically yeah. of, of this whole feeling where you go, you know what, that's time away from me, fa- my family and stuff like that. So it's funny how that really changes. Oh, no, it, it definitely change, it changes your perspective. But I, but you know what, the, the, what I've found now, they, my, my daughters are sort of 15, almost 16 and 17. There's a very limited amount of time they want to spend with me. <laughs> and my problem is now is like, hang on, I was needed last week. You know, like, what the, oh. what's going on now? You're like, like Paulie wants I, a hug. So I might, yeah. So my addiction 
has been, come on, everybody, let's go to town together and hold hands and take photos or go for a drive to Victor Harbour. It's like, Dad, are you killing me? And they're not in any way those salty teens that is a stereotype. In any way, they're not that. They are wonderful and fabulous, but they've got lives themselves and yeah. they're great lives and they're doing great stuff and I'm just in their way, like totally in their way. Yeah. And all I get is oh, around dinner time where we'll watch some telly together, show that we're sharing together and we'll have a laugh and we'll have a quick chat and I get to hear about their day and, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's it. After that, they're studying till midnight or they're going to see some friends. And so now I'm at that point where I'm like, oh, what do I do? And it's a really lovely feeling because it's this flood back of, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, yes. all this opportunity. And oh, well, you can, you can have a schnitzel and a beer with... With uh, you and Simon <laughs> and Claudio. Um, yeah, like it's, yeah, it's, it's coming, it, I'm getting the time back now and it's this time you give up for, for a period of time for a very, very important thing. Yeah. That's your kids. Um, and then you get it all back. And it comes back and then you're a bit lost. But trouble is you're decrepit too. Like mm, everything mm. hurts at the moment with me, so I can't do I was worried shit. about that having yeah. a having a kid sort of later in life. Because and it all happened at the same time. So Oh wow. Yeah, it was four years ago. Because it was forty. Yeah. So I turned forty, got married, and we Well, forty's a new fifty. We, no, we, on, we, new we had a child, so I'm fifty next month, so fifty's a new forty, so you know, like we're the same age. I can't believe I got the wedding year wrong. Look, I, we, I shouldn't have brought that up again. She, might have, she might have just got bored by that time and turned off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> well, look, we got to wrap up, sunshine, because we this this is now holding the world's record for our longest for is my it? longest podcast, really? which is fabulous. I still like feel like we haven't even really talked. I know about that's anything. the deal with this stuff. Yeah. yeah, like it's a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, let me ask you one last question. Yeah, what's next? What are you going to do? You're going to dig in deeper with the architecture work and like I'm just telling you now, you're about to get, not about to, in a few years' time, you're going to get so much of your life back as your kid gets older and they're going to be going to parties and you have weekends to yourself. Are you going to, you're going to chase the architecture more or are you going to pivot your photography interests? Are you going to shoot some more film or you any plans? Oh, yeah. No. Well, it's funny when you said we'll go off in the car and go for a walk around town because uh, that's probably what I've missed. Right. Yeah, because I, I and I think that's why I got burnt out last year, is because I've been an avid person of of telling everyone, "Hey, you got to do stuff for yourself, man. You got to have, you got to have at least a personal project every two years or something like that." And I've done none of that. I've done none of that for too long. You've done Toby. Yeah, I've done Toby. No, that's I'm, your personal and, project. Yeah, that's been my personal project. But yes, it's kind of like, yes, I love what I do, and my happy place is when a client. Tells me what I, you know, what building I have to shoot and I can go and do it in my own time and walk around it with a camera and think outside the box and, and do it. But my happy time before that, this is Toby aside and my family, of course, but <laughs> gonna, I mean, I mean, just give them props. Like. I mean, I mean, photography wise yes. is, yeah. I mean, Paul would know that I, I spent a lot of time. Um, I loved taking, you know, traveling and taking pictures and shooting pictures on film and and all that kind of fun stuff and I I've, I probably have suffered from not doing enough of my own things but you yeah like I said you have different priorities 
so what's next is I think just more of the same. Um, I mean, I, I do do quite a bit of food stuff as well. And I think that is is just so everything doesn't feel like Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah. And it's still two things that you have a fair bit of control on. Yeah. Um, again, not people related. But I probably need to start thinking out, you know, putting myself in that vulnerable position and maybe um, shooting people again just to some extent because I feel like I've – I feel like a lot of this stuff and I think a lot of creatives are like this. The longer you go without something, the harder it gets to do it again. Yeah, totally. It grows over. I yeah. think it really does. So I feel like um, – yeah. I feel like uh, – I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's next. It's just more of the same. I mean a lot of people say they shoot architecture, landscape and that because they don't like people. Like I've heard that from so many I people. I love people. It's like a trope. I just this don't want to photograph this them. This is the thing, right? <laughs> this is the contra, you know, yeah. the the difficult thing with you, the um, contradiction that, yeah, that yeah, I was looking yeah. for with you is that, you know, you really like people and you're great with them and um I'm yeah, I'm a real I'm a real social person. I just don't like people robbing me of my mood. But that's the same as if I'm driving my car and I've got someone mm. I've got someone driving up my ass. Mm. Like People that are That's why you have a fast car. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that fast. <laughs> Twinsy's driving it. Yeah. Oh, it's got a it's got a little screen on the window and a baby sitting in the back now, so it's <laughs> it's driven very responsibly at all times. Um but yeah, look I what were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about what you're doing next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I think more well, of, that's a good, that's a good answer. I think more of the same, but yeah, just really concentrating on myself and finding that enjoyment again. I think it's really important because it, it we are extremely lucky that I've I've, you know, had my own business for twenty one years and and in the last ten or twelve years I've been able to do pretty much one kind of thing and that I've been recognized for that. Yeah, and that's so I just want to continue that journey and get um, just, yeah, keep throwing myself challenges with uh, trying to find that time of the day that makes a, a building sing, which is really a corny way of putting it, isn't it? That's a corny way to end. Maybe. That sounded like that sounded like a pitch. It may be. Yeah, we don't we don't want to pitch at the end. I yeah. don't worry, no one listens to this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you told me there was tens of thousands. Well, actually, I just noticed that. I was looking at the stats trying to work it out. I was like 1,300 downloaded Steph's last Sunday. Right. But the next day was like still like 900 downloaded the next day. So it's actually a lot. So sorry, I didn't mean to. So maybe it is a pitch. <laughs> Well, if people it's a joke, Kate and I have that no one, no one listens, and someone certainly no one watches the video. Oh well, I watched the video. I found that way that way a bit. I don't know. Was it? I don't know if it was easier. I had a couple where I put the I put the YouTube video on the right screen while I worked on the left screen. Oh. I don't know why I needed to see your beautiful blue eyes, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to see my blue eyes. <laughs> They're getting a bit red from the uh, old Pudney. You know why I chose this whiskey? Because uh, it had a boat on it. Oh yes, it's just like it was. I was in the in the shop going, "Why do I buy a drink tonight?" I've actually made a dent in the bottle, even though I've only had. A I well, you must have drank some before I got it here. Must then. have any rate. Well, um, but yeah, I was looking at it, going, "Which one do I choose?" And I chose one with a boat, which is very predictable. You'd choose the one with a building on it, wouldn't you? No, no, no. I'd build one. I'd put. I'd, one with a car on it, maybe. Car. Or a guitar. Oh. 
So yeah, I, I'd like to go back there. Photography owes me a a, a Gibson Les Paul, at oh, least. Ten seconds. At was, least. Well, you know John Clark, he yeah. ran Duck Pond, used to work here. He bought his son a Gretsch White Falcon. Oh, hello. <laughs> I know. His son's actually an incredibly talented musician. He he looks like young John Lennon. Right. And so all John was doing in his towards his retirement was buying his son guitars and he couldn't convince him to turn into John Lennon. But oh, right. he's got this great guitar White collection. Falcon, that's very um was it Roxette? Yeah. He had he had yeah. one of those, uh the guy in that and also um The Living End, Australian band. Really? He was very big on Gretsch. They great, look amazing. Great it's like a Cadillac, that thing. Yeah, it is. It is very heavy and big. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Any rate, rocking up, uh, wrapping up, rocking up. Um, thank next, you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been you. lovely. And uh, schnitzel time? Soon. Because we're opening. The doors yeah, are Yeah, the doors are opening. Open. 80 people now. 80. Oh, trust me, I've had, I've had, there's a couple of hospitality venues I have to shoot at the moment, and it has been a nightmare. The goalposts are changing every day, and... Um, yeah, it's been fun trying to. Hey, when are we going to do this? So you know the the viewers don't know this, but there's a group of us, very small group that go out. We're kind of grumpy old men. Yeah, are we? Yeah, well, I'm the youngest. Yeah, I know <laughs> you're the youngest, but doesn't you don't have to be old to be grumpy and old? Well, I got more and more grumpy. I feel like I'm chilling out. I think this is the trouble. I yeah. think that you know you might be breaking the grump. I mean, Claudio has never been grumpy. No, he's not grumpy. He's just like he's Italian and passionate. He's just the happiest man on earth. Yeah, I but think. are you calling Simon grumpy? I think Simon and I are probably win the prize for being. I grumpy. I think you're getting him. grumpier. Yeah, but we all got we had a beard there for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of I shaved. I know. Today. Look at you. Oh, it's just a little bit. It's still there, a little bit there. I never cut it all off. So, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Thanks thank for you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for the scotch. Um, <laughs> thank you for your wonderful photography. Thank um, you. It's um, it's a joy to have you a part of all of this world that we're in, and and photography. And I think for what you've given the lif- listeners tonight, you know, you said you've never spoke to some people about some of this stuff, and that's a really lovely thing. Uh, I think everyone's better off for. for mm. Thanks, Paul. Yes. I don't know when this. Smack. Are we recording? It's a double smack when you do that, you know? You smack and then you say you smack. That's two smacks. Smack, smack. Paul. Kate. Welcome back. Welcome back. What did you think of that interview, Paul? I really. That was our first interview, person to person, person other to person. than you and yeah. I. And look, the, the desk is set up this way with the two microphones. In fact, I've got a third microphone so we can do a triple chat. It's not, in, not rigged up. But I don't know where we'd all stand, like be three little monkeys, you know, the you know, Weevil, Sino, and Speak Weevil. But we haven't worked out. And, of course, the lighting, oh, how Shut do I get that worked with out? The lighting. You know what? We need to hire an actual photographer. Or are we going to give up doing video? <gasps> She's worked out video is difficult. But video is not di- – it's just, you know, it's another level. I know. So tell me, you enjoyed the David interview? Yes. And it was wonderful sitting – And we're going to we're gonna put a whole lot of pictures and all that good stuff in yeah, the thing. Yeah, and, and you'll see all the links to Beyond Blue and yes. all that important stuff. If anyone's uh, feeling wobbly. Yeah, if anyone's feeling wobbly. Uh, and we encourage you to, to look it up. So 
How, how, how was that? Um, <laughs> Look at you. Have you got your little list? No, I've got you a list because these are the things I want to add to the show notes. Oh. I want to add the tank museum to the show notes. Oh, bloody tank museum. Really? It's so good. Hey, there was apparently, I heard on one of my favourite shows that I listened to, the Gabfest. Yes. There was a, a political Gabfest. There was a apparently a whole series of video, of films of interviewers, interviews with the guys who built like some, I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge or something, some huge bloody oh, yeah. American thing. Right. And they're all like sitting on top of the building and laughing and having a chat and apparently oh. their accents are astounding. So really old. Really, really old footage okay, that they okay. found. I'll find Political the link. Political Gab Fest. Political Gab Fest. It's, it's in there, one of their recommends in the, this week for this week, but I'll find it and send it to you and we'll put it in there because it's so good. Yeah. And they're the accents that you don't hear anymore in America in those Brooklyn... New York crazy oh, accents. I love that stuff. So we can remember, yeah, whatever. Nothing good there. Anyway, yes, right. What? Nothing what? good there. It's no, the country I was just people. running. No, I love America, but I just ran down a path and just decided to turn around and run back again. <laughs> and Frank wasn't with me to run circles around me because when me and Frank run, it works well. Run, Frank runs around me. I run around the oval. So we are like, you know, it's a, it's a. What do you call that? Orbiting? Come on, space. That's it. Orbiting. Orbiting. I should ask Steph Fuller. She knows all about it. <gasps> Steph. Steph. Mm. Steph, so. Yes. Your moment of colour. By sheer serendipitous coincidence. It is actually. Really? It is? It's black. But it is, it, uh, you did not do that deliberately. A scout's honour. Like, like the next chapter of Cassie Sinclair's The Secret Lies How many have colour. we got left? Well, not many. But I've got other plans to be, you know, digging into colours. We're not just going li- to okay. lean on Cassia. Okay. We're going to talk to other other things about, but like black. Hey, let's start off. Is black a color? Well, oh, did you choose Cassia black thinks, because I painted our house black? I didn't, but it just happened to also coincide with the fact that you've done a lot of black painting. And how glorious is it? How glorious is it? And it's the kind of black you've chosen is a really interesting black because it's. It's it's a very matte black. Yes. And it's and you know what? It's the same sort of a matte black that we get with pigment ink on smooth cotton paper. It is a Murabond mirror wash. wash, which is an Australian made paint that is environmentally friendly and it is all heritage heritage approved, which we don't have to worry about because this place is basically, you know, yeah, a dump. But so, so black, black is it's the. It's got grit and gunk in it, so black it's all. Is, black chalky is the absence of light, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't reflect light. And if you've got a black uh, that does reflect light, the black lightens up and it becomes a grey. So the idea of yeah, black right. is it, it absorbs light and doesn't reflect it. So if you've got a glossy black, sure, the black might look nice and rich, but as soon as you get any kind of reflection off of it, it does. It's, it's shiny, right? Yeah, which is the one in the, what we painted upstairs is like almost like velvet. It's so black, it's so dark. So and then at night, it just disappears. It's oh, like there's no wall. It's like a void. Yeah. <gasps> I should photograph it. Well, I should do you, the Steph. The the, I should like do the Steph. Did Steph teach you nothing last week? No, no, week? she taught me everything. Right. She was great. But my point is that we, we – we generate a, a really lovely black on smooth cotton. And one of the tr- challenges we're we known have, for our detail. We're known, we're known for our detail, but we're also known for the depth of it because David specifically um, overrides uh, the don't give away the, the print systems to you know generate this black, yeah. which is is it's incredible. The it's trouble amazing. is 
on smooth cotton where the black is its most effective, it's so delicate. You brush mm. it a little bit one way. Nobody cares though because no. everybody orders the 6 by 4s and 7 by 5s <laughs> on Master Fine Art paper and they get trimmed up and chucked in a box and David just sits and weeps at the edge of the I box know. going, the thing is, oh, my blacks have been destroyed. Yeah, you, you put it behind glass though and the glass puts a gloss and so there goes your black behind. Yeah. If you put it on the wall, you touch it, you hurt it. It's it's yeah. it's a delicate little puppy. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is fascinating. It's like the black paint upstairs. I'm going to basically walk around for the rest of my life with a little pot of that shit, just yeah. touching it up every time someone bumps into it. So you know what uh, I think? Yeah, you, you literally do, are doing that. I literally We've am. been doing that. It's not a joke. And one of the things that, like there is this chase for richness of colours and of course with with pigments that go to make paints and and um, and, and inks and that kind of stuff, uh, we there's this chase to get more and more extreme colours for artists to use. And there's a fabulous story of um, of a guy or a team that had invented the blackest black and it refl- and it withholds 98%. Yeah. It's called Vanta Black. And yeah, but did you look up the guy yes, that copied yes, it and yes. did the thing? And then the artist who's been using it. Yes, it's that a, artist. I'm, I'm not going to go into that story because it's it's it, the first part of the story is told in, in the this book. book and you should it's pick so it up. But good. I wanted to talk about Vanta Black because it stands for a vertical alignment of nanotubes. Oh, well, a vertical alignment me. of nanotube array. Okay. Really? Now, just think about think about it. This. We've talked about the smooth cotton paper that you can mark it by brushing it. You kind of lay the fibers of the paper down. It's the fact it's got these fibers that when the light goes into it, it traps the light. Oh. Now, what the way Vantablack works? Like a black hole. Yes. The way Vantablack works is they've made the fibres out of nanotubes, which are tiny, tiny, microscopic little tubes, and they grow up. So if you imagine, uh, like, um, like I, hair? I, I think it's hair or seagrass, you know, waving around the ocean at the bottom, and I, I imagine it like that, but it's all black and these tubes are black. So light gets in there and it bounces around because it does reflect a little, but it can't go anywhere because of these tubes absorb it. That's what Vantablack is, and it's not that different from the black we see on smooth cotton. Wow. And that is this technique and it's stopping the reflection. And the black is so black that when you know when artists have used it and there's a watch that have got the face made of it and there's a whole lot of gimmickery is done around it. The, 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 the actual ink itself is so expensive that well, it's probably come down in price now. There's not a lot you can do with it. So Vanderblack is a really interesting thing and I reckon some of that technology is being put into you know the thinking uh, behind some of these fine art printing systems because ah. we're talking 2012 that when that was invented. So Oh, so that's a while ago. I thought it was more recent than that. Yeah, that's right. So what is it? Um, but that's because I'm I old. I think I had some numbers here. Oh, we might skip. There's no point in, in going through the details of Vanderbilt. We've kind of talked about yeah. what... It, but, but you can buy this paint, yes. this artist, and yes. he's done all these crazy colours and you know who Pink. desperately you know who desperately wants it? Josephine. Oh, baby, does she desperately want it. That's a Christmas present. She's not listening to this. No. So let's talk about the oldest black that was that might used. be the shit i just painted on the walls it might be pretty old what what's the oldest way that people have created art well oh on on cave walls yeah, with with charcoal. charcoal charcoal um so charcoal is is um is burnt uh uh t- fibers timber um uh, lignin cells and that kind of stuff burnt um Really good charcoal is is kind of compressed, burnt with a l- bit of oxygen well, removed. That's a judgment call um, on charcoal. But it doesn't flake quite apart. Frankly, it doesn't flake you know, apart like when you make it right. But interestingly enough, dun, 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 here we go. Interestingly enough, I'm going to read a little bit from this book here. Uh, 
it power as an energy source, the charcoal powered the industrial revolution in the UK. Charcoal, charcoal. not coal. coal? No, charcoal was was one of the uh, one of the parts. Such vast quantities were used to smelt iron that whole forests were decimated and smoke filled the air around cities. Charcoal is thus indirectly responsible for one of the classic exemplars of natural selection. So we're talking Darwinian yeah. action here. Okay. Well, yeah, but well, that one's all right. Yeah. The Biston Betularia F. Typica or <laughs> Peppered Moth. P- peppered Moth. How's that, Mr. Popper on the pop filter of the, oh, of the Peppered the, Moth? Is, yeah. usually a sp- is usually speckled white and black. Right, so this is a moth. Okay, that used to be white and black. Sure. During the nineteenth century, a I'm previously, during the nineteenth century, a previously unknown variety with an all black body and bitter chocolate wings. I don't know. Do they eat the wings? Oh, bitter chocolate. Let's get some of that into the. With bitter now. chocolate wings began appearing more frequently around the northern towns, while numbers of the white speckled kind, uh, kind declined sharply. By 1895, Ooh. a study around Manchester found that 95 percent of the peppered moths were dark against the bark of sooty trees. The dark moths were harder for the predators to see. So charcoal and the use of it in... Killed off the white moth. Well, it caused them to breed more black moths. So the black moths. Interesting, huh? Bloody hell. That's a bit scary. So let us also hear about, because I was interested in this, do you know what coal is? K-O-H-L? Ah, eyeliner. See, I put eyeliner on today for the first coal time. Josephine's trying to teach me how to not look like I've been punched in the face. So coal, uh, coal eyeliner, 1400 and 1300 BC was used. Like this is one of the oldest makeupy things, you know, in the in the history of, of stuff. And and I, actually, I won't tell you what coal actually is. But in 2010, a French researchers began analysing the traces of powder found in coal pots. We're not talking about dictators in <laughs> between coal pots. <laughs> Discovered they also contain something even more precious, man-made chemicals including two kinds of lead chlorides that would have been around a month or taken around a month to brew. Mystified, they conducted further <laughs> tests. <laughs> to their astonishment, these chemicals were found to stimulate the skin around the eye and produce around 240% more nitric acid than usual, significantly reducing the risk of eye infections. Oh. In a time before antibiotics, such simple infections could easily lead to cataracts or blindness. Coal, like the little pot in the shape of the fearsome bears, which is the Egyptian god, was a very pre- practical form of protection. So, oh. you know, you see the pharaohs and the Cleopatras. With all with that a, gunk yeah, around their eyes yeah, it could for be a their, their infection. Wow. Well, to prevent infection. Interesting. That's huh? the reason to, yeah. And lastly, let us very quickly talk about Indian ink. Because Indian ink is something we all love. The Chinese I who ascribed it. I love it. the invention who the Chinese who ascribed the invention of ink to Tian Chen, who lived between two six nine seven and two five nine seven, also used lamp black for their ink. Sometimes confusingly known as Indian ink. So Indian ink is actually lamp oh. black being used, and it's suspended like in a turpentine or something like that. The pigment was produced in huge amounts, row upon row of special funnel-shaped lamps were tended every half hour or so by workers who scraped the soot off the sides of lamps using feathers. Wow. For special occasion, they used the soot of pine logs, ivory, lacquer resin, or deposits of dead yeast left over after the end of wine fermentation. 
But the end product was essentially the same. So how cool is that? That's so cool. Indian ink, charcoal, like the basics of art really yeah. is there. And of course, right all the way to now, Vantablack, where they're making with nanotubes. Bloody nanotubes. And black, I I flipping love black. I think oh, black's incredible. I love it. We're about to have a black bedroom. Did you know that? Ooh. It's going to be pretty great. What's that joke you said about once you've gone black? And you tell me the reason Once why. Once you go black, you never go back <laughs> because it's really hard to paint over. <laughs> I'm glad you kept it clean. I'm very pleased. Very, look, it is the, the actual reality. Yes. Anyhow. But that's fine. I'm standing up again now. You've stopped your yakking. Let's tell these lovely people. Wish them good luck. Good luck. We'll talk Let to them you next know. week. Hang on. You have to do the pudding joke about black. My mother's black pudding was so black, even the white bits were black. <laughs> Sorry, that just came to my head. That's the old man joke for today. Yeah. After oh. your moment of colour. Yeah, after my moment of colour. Um, have it. a lovely week. Have a lovely – try and have a lovely week. Yes. Watch some trash television. And remember because – oh, I did want to say – What? That Cassie had mentioned one more thing in her book about it. Churchill, right, Winston Churchill. Yep. I mean, this is, this is a really, really, really good way to wrap up, so please forgive me okay. on this one. Okay, all right. Please forgive we'll me on this one. Um, here go we go. Last bit. Um, and the black dog, which is depression. You just blew it for me. Oh, shit. Really? Yes. We'll cut it out. Another man famously dogged by the spectre of depression was Winston Churchill. He wrote to his wife, Winnie, in 1911, telling her of a German doctor who had cured a friend's depression. I think this man might be useful to me if my black dog returns, mm. writes Churchill. So, yeah, we, we talked about the, the horror of... Um, of the the problems in America and the troubles that they're going through. Yep. We talked about depression. We talked about David and it came up in our interview with David and it's the colour black and we have the black dog of depression and it's all rather lovely. But I just want people to remember that we are all the sky and not the weather. Things change. Yes. Things move on. And we yes, will who get, did we that? That was um, Stephen Fry did a lovely discussion of depression and how it's like the weather and it, you just have to hang on until bad weather passes. That's, That's it. Well, this was a real <laughs> up show. I know. But see you next week. Yes. <laughs>